This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. You always want to think of his first coming in relationship to his second coming. Jesus is coming. He came once as a baby. He's coming again as a glorious king. And so today in part one of this series, Jesus is coming, we're going to look at his second coming. In the Gospels, our Lord tells his disciples about signs or events that will happen before he comes again. And he calls these things birth pangs, like false teachers, earthquakes, persecution of believers, wars, rumors of war, stuff like that. And all these will increase with time like birth cramp pangs increase as a baby comes. But the number one deal that the word of God gives us that, 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 that must be in place or almost in place before he comes again is a one-world government. And as you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 17, this is Revelation 17, verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. Then I jump to verse 13, and they have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So there's going to be 10 kings or 10 world leaders in 10 what I've called political or geo, geographical political districts. And that's exactly what this word of God is saying. There's going to be 10 world leaders over 10 political districts, and the point in time will come when they will all give their power to one world leader, and Revelation identifies him as the beast. And today we have what amounts to a world recession. And one reason being, you've got all these, compa- these competing monetary systems like the dollar, the pound, the yen, the euro dollar. And to most people, it's just going to make sense. It'll make just plain sense to have a one world monetary system. The, the, the schools today that teach American history and George Washington and Paul Revere and Patrick Henry and give me liberty and give me or give me death and stuff like that are becoming less and less because we are moving toward a world government. Now, folks, we can't predict the date. We can't predict the time. But when we see the world moving closer and closer to these 10 political districts of Revelation 17, we know his return is imminent. And just before this world government happens, this is going to happen. And this is, a, we're going to be all over scripture, but this is the major word of God we're going to look at today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know it as the rapture passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Let's look at that. So just before that world government is in place, this will happen. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve. Here's what I love. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We don't grieve like the rest of men because they have no hope. We have a certain hope. Anyway, here's the deal here. The Apostle Paul had taught the Thessalonian believers 
about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they were all excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ, but they had questions like this. What if I die before Jesus comes again? What if my mom, dad, wife, one of my kids dies before he comes again? If we die before he comes again, will we still go to heaven? Verse 13, don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Sure, we're going to grieve when somebody we love dies, but we have hope. I, I just, I think that's so neat. I mean, we'll grieve for a time. But hope will take over. I mean, here's what's going to take over. The, the, the hope of a certain promise. John 14. I'm going to read John 14, verse 3. Jesus Christ says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I, here it comes, I will come back. I will come back. That's the certain hope we have. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be with me where I am. Now back to 1 Thessalonians 4. And I love this too. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. I love that too, man. How many of you look at death like a sleep? And then you get to verse 14. Look at this, verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 4. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And then I've got these words circled. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What it's saying is his resurrection guarantees our resurrection. No resurrection. We're all lost. We're all hopeless. And now in verse 15, Paul addresses the issue before him. You know, if Christ comes again, what, what's going to happen to those who have died before he came again? Verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, Paul makes this point. He says a lot of this is going to sound way out. I just think this is very important that Paul says this. According to the Lord's own word, he's saying, I got this directly from the Lord through the Holy Spirit himself. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left till, until the coming of the Lord Jesus, will, here's a big deal, will certainly, will certainly, he makes a big deal out of that, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's that fallen asleep again. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. When Christ comes again, those alive at that time will not go to heaven before those who have fallen asleep or died believing in Jesus Christ. The believing dead will rise first and precede those living at that moment into heaven. Now you get to verse 16. This is kind of neat too. You're going to know when he comes because verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And he's going to come with three noises, three distinct, I mean, that the whole world is going to hear. There will be three distinct sounds. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. What's that loud command going to be? I believe he's going to call you by name. Just like he said, Lazarus, come forth. I believe he's going to call you by name. Call you by name and say, rise. Come back from death. The voice of the archangel, probably Michael, announcing his coming. And the trumpet call of God, the shofar, the Jewish shofar blaster during the Feast of Trumpets. The command of the Lord himself to rise. The announcement by the archangel Michael and the shofar. That is very specific. And a lot of people say it's mysterious or mystic language, man. That's about as specific as you can get. And the believing dead rise first. And they receive their new bodies. Now let me interject something here. Because the word of God teaches this. At the moment of death, what happens at the moment of death? Angels escort you right into the presence of the Lord, right? Angels take you right into his presence. And you live with him in your soul slash spirit until such time as your body and soul reunite. Now in your soul or in your spirit, you, you absolutely experience, you know the blessedness of being in heaven with Jesus. 
but 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about the reunion of body and spirit. It's talking about your bodily resurrection. Then you get to verse 17. After that, after the dead in Christ rise first, after all these three sounds, we who are still alive, verse 17, 1 Thessalonians 4, and left on the earth, and here comes the word harpazo, will be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That Greek word harpazo means plucked up or plucked out to be with the Lord. But um, be that as it may, after the rapture, and you think about this. I mean, you've been working in this office with so-and-so, and you're not a believer, and so-and-so is a believer, and they say, one day, one day there's going to be a rapture, and one day all the believers are gone. I mean, what you're going to say to yourself is, they're gone, along with every other believer. You know, he must have been right. And you're, and you're going to start to open this book and say, what else does the Bible say, you know? And I believe after the rapture, this is me, I, I, I believe that there will be Thousands and millions and millions who are going to say they said it was going to happen. It did. I better take the claims of Christ seriously. And I believe that a lot of people are going to be saved at that time. Shortly after the rapture, this new world government will be in place. Ten kings or ten leaders of ten geopolitical districts, Revelation 17, 13, will give their power and authority to one called the beast in Revelation. The book of Daniel calls him the little horn. He's only called the Antichrist in two places, and that's, they're both in 1 John. He's called the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. And in Daniel, the thing that's going to put this guy in office, the thing that's going to make this guy the world leader, and we see this in Daniel 9.27, he's going to negotiate, a, he's, going to do, he's going to do something that every president's tried and haven't been able to do it. This Daniel 9.27, he is going to negotiate a treaty between the Jews and the Arabs. And at long last, there will be peace in the Middle East. Revelation 6.2. This is John's vision, John, the vision that God gave him. John saw a guy on a white horse, a rider on a white horse. Look at this, Revelation 6.2. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Now, what does white represent? Well, here it represents waving a white flag. Peace, right? Negotiating for peace, Okay. So I saw this rider on a white horse, and the rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. So this guy is a conqueror, but he's on a white horse. He's waving a flag of peace, and he's got a bow, but what does he not have? Arrows, see? And that's to try, God's trying to tell us in this vision that this guy is a negotiator. He negotiates this peace between the Jews and the Arabs. There's peace in the Middle East. The Jews welcome this guy as their Messiah, and people begin to forget the rapture. He's in power now. And for three and a half years, there's relative peace, and people are saying, this guy is just great. And that's when you get to the events of Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is a very specific chapter talking about the end time events. It says the guy is, um, in 13.3, he says this world leader, this beast or whatever you want to call him, is either assassinated or he fakes. He fakes a death and he is resurrected. And if it's, if it's legitimate, if it's not faked, if it's a real assassination, he is resurrected by the limited supernatural power that God gives to the devil. And now, now people are all behind this guy. They say, this guy is not just a man, he is God. And this world leader picks up on this man. He says, I'm more than just a world leader. I'm God. Look at verse 13, verse 5, verse 5 of Revelation 13. The beast was given a mouth 
to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Verse six, he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And now look at verse seven. I like this. I got this circle too. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. His limited power and authority. Anything he can do is power that God grants him to do. God said, okay, I'm going to allow this to happen. I'm going to let you do this. There's limits I'm putting on this thing. The Father has complete control, and the beast doesn't about face. He says, I'm God. And that's exactly what Satan did in the beginning, Isaiah 14. He wanted to overthrow God and cast him out of heaven. And Satan said, I, you know, I, Satan in effect said, I'm God, same deal here. And this just tells us this is Satan's man. And God's allowing history to run its course. And so the beast has people set up his images in places of worship, churches and synagogues all over the world. They remove the cross, any image of Christ all over the world. And Jesus calls that in Matthew 24, the abomination that desolates. And now people have to receive a mark of sorts, identifying them as on this guy's side. And lots of people will say the safe thing. Oh, yeah, sure, he's God. I'll take the mark. Remember those thousands or millions who will come to faith immediately after the rapture? As you read Revelation 7, it tells us there's 144,000 believing Jews that God has marked and he's not going to allow this beast or this Antichrist to touch them. There's 144,000 believing Jews who are going all over the world and they're telling people, they're telling people, this guy's a phony, don't believe in him, put your faith in Jesus Christ. And people are listening and they're believing and they're not worshiping this abomination of desolation or this image of this man and they are starving and dying for it because Revelation 13 says, if you don't take that mark, we're going to starve you out. And Jesus calls that thing. He calls that. He calls that time in Matthew 24, the great tribulation. And Jesus said that he would, um, he would shorten the days of this intense suffering for the sake of the believers or for the sake of the elect. And this tribulation goes on for three and a half years. Then in Revelation 19, in Revelation 19, after horrible persecution, Jesus comes again. He's the rider on the white horse. Verse 19, Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and you can read all that for yourself. But he comes... And he fights what we call the battle of Armageddon. And all the forces of evil are amassed against the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I read Revelation 19, 21. Because the battle of Armageddon, people like to pose this or portray this as, you have two equal forces, good versus evil. We'll look at Revelation 19, 21. The rest of them were killed with the sword. And the sword, I believe, is the sword that comes out of his mouth. It said the sword that came out of his mouth. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the white horse. I believe that sword that came out of his mouth is the word of God, and I believe he just spoke, and that was it. And the word of God says, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. This is a quick tour through the eschatological scenario. That's a big word for the end times. I'm going to make this quick. Now, Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3, I won't read that. Satan is bound for 1,000 years. Revelation 20 is the millennium chapter. The word millennium means 1,000 years. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Read that in Isaiah chapter 2. Old Testament, New Testament, all forecast that. He will reign from Mount Zion in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. 
which needs to be rebuilt or reconstructed. He will reign there for 1,000 years. And on this earth, during that time, there will be perfect peace. There will be absolute prosperity. There will be no wars. Isaiah chapter 2 says, they're going to... Chapter 2 says people will take their, their weapons of war and beat them into plowshares and so on. There will be perfect harmony and peace in the world where the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's Isaiah 11. And after 1,000 years, the Lord releases Satan. Satan appeals to man's sinful nature. He amasses one last army against the Lord. Fire comes down from heaven, destroys Satan. Now here's Satan's end. You've got to see this. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. That's hell where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Now look at this. This is Satan's end. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Then verse 11. Remember at the time of the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, the believing dead came to life and they preceded those who were still alive on this earth. Now the unbelieving dead rise. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it and earth and sky fled from his presence. I want to tell you, when unbelievers see the holiness of God, they're going to know that they're getting the judgment they deserve, and they're going to run, they're going to flee, and there's going to be no place to hide. Then you get the eternal kingdom, verse 21. Then I saw, chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, there was no sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain for the old order of things has passed away. And folks, I'll tell you, there's a lot the Bible says about heaven someday. I'll have a sermon series on that. But you know, it all comes down to verse three. They will be his people. And God will be with them. And he will be their God. You know, I don't need to know anything else about heaven but that. I am going to be in the presence of my God who loved me so much. He created me with a purpose. He sent a son to die for me. And he gave me the gift of eternal life. That's all I need to know about heaven. So that's the scenario. Now, what's this thing? Now, now, now what's it all mean? What's it all mean? The first thing that hits me as I consider this end time scenario is the integrity of the word of God. See, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, there would be false prophets. And he also said, the hearts of many will turn cold toward him when their security or prosperity or even their life is threatened. And that's Revelation 7, 13, 17. Take the mark or you can't buy, you can't sell. We're going to cut you off from this world. And see that meat grinder over there? We put a nice whole hunk of chuck in there, and it comes out all shredded. Well, that's going to be you if you don't take that mark. And, and there's going to be lots of people who say, hey, say, slow down, man. Hey, here, here, put the mark on me. I'm cool with the beast. That's okay. He's God. Just like Jesus said. Jesus said that very thing. Hearts are going to turn cold. See, what I'm saying is this word is truth. It's all truth. That's my point. If I could say it this way, I'd say it like this. Well, I can say it this way, and I will. The answers to life's issues are in here, and the problem is we don't go there. I mean, all the answers are in here to life's issues, and, and, and we don't go there like we should. You know, lots of people go to mom for advice, and mom has no personal faith. Why would you go to mom with no personal faith? She believes in partial birth abortion. That's a woman's right and all that stuff. Why would you go to mom? Or your sister, your sister. I mean, she divorced her husband in six years, hooked up with this guy who's got 
tattoos from head to toe and they travel all over the country on a motorcycle. You're going to call her and say, hey, sis, give me some advice. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, the people we go through for advice. But how about Lori? Lori has it together. She's had a tough the last couple of years. Her husband was laid off for six months. She had to get a job at Vincent Joe's. She had this breast cancer scare. Her mom died. And with all this stuff going on in her life, she still gets together with a couple of girls for coffee to go over the Bible and talk about the Word of God at least once a week. So you call Lori, you pick her brains, you want to know what God says about your issue. You know, that should be an automatic reaction when you reach crossroads in your life. That should be automatic. What does God tell me about this in His Word? I mean, we've seen today God's word is truth. The Bible teaches that God is righteous. That means he's always right, always. He's never wrong. I mean, what he tells us in his word is always right. Do you believe that? I mean, it's right. It's, it's always the right thing to do, the right thing to say, the right way to think. So program yourself to go here first. Ask first. What does God say? What's his will? Devote yourself to time in this word every day, to know God, to deal with your anxiety, to know right from wrong. It's a discipline, but this short tour through these tour through the end times tells me that God said it. And right now, it's going, it's going exactly the direction he said it would go. That's what I see here. He makes promises, and what he promises, he does. What he said will happen. It's happening right now. We are moving toward a world government. There will be 10 political districts, and from those 10, there will come one who will be world president, who will negotiate a treaty between Israel and the Arabs, and the world's going to applaud this guy. I mean, this is where right is. This is where right is. I mean, these are where, this is where life principles are. Now, here's what I believe. I, I, I believe the premillennial view, and that, by the way, is the official position of our church. We, it's in our statement of faith. We, we espouse the premillennial view. We, we believe we will be raptured before we ever have to come to a decision where we will ever have to take the mark of the beast. I believe we will be raptured. I don't think we'll ever have to face, face a decision where someone says, take the mark or die, unless it happens very soon. And we are so close to that right now, and we will have to represent what we believe. And there will be crossroads, man. I mean, you know, please, man, or please, God, be safe and be silent or represent what you believe. We're coming to that point. Here's something else that came over me as I was thinking through this whole thing, a sense of urgency. Most of this is going on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and it's, I just... I just began to feel very urgent. And I began to feel very convicted because, the, because God the Father has brought people into my life who have no relationship with Jesus Christ at all. Oh, and I pray for these people. I pray for these people dutifully. But I'm not urgent. Here's the big deal. I'm not urgent about this thing. Do something now, God. Open that door. Open their heart now, Father. And I'm not challenging them. And there's no urgency. And listen, folks, things have accelerated just a couple of years ago. I, I, thought, I thought I would never, a couple of years ago, I thought I would never see a potential one world government. I thought I'd never see that. You know, I said people are going to, you know, they're not going to give up their ethnic roots. They're not going to give up their um, political heritage or patriotism and all this. But I've changed. <laughs> now, let's go back for a sense of urgency to 1 Thessalonians 4. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. I mean, just look how urgent Paul is here. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. Look at that word, suddenly, I got that circled, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, but they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. 
we don't belong to the night and the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be what? Alert and self-controlled. See that? Is there a sense of urgency in your life? Paul had a sense it would come at any time. We need to get into the lives of people who are saying everything's cool, peace, safety. Look at verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 5. Destruction will come upon them suddenly. John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman is so taken with Jesus Christ. You remember this. And she invites Jesus to her village. And, and she says, no, she, she tells the villagers in her Samaritan village, she says, she says, come hear this Jesus. Just, just give him a chance. Come hear him. And Jesus sees all these people coming at him. And in John 4.35, he says to his disciples, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for the harvest now, not four months down the road. Man, I need to be more urgent. So do you. How urgent are you? People tell me about the people in their lives. You know, you tell me about people in your lives, and I say, I'll usually ask this question, do they know the Lord? And people tell everybody, everybody, I mean everybody. Oh, yeah, oh, sure, oh, sure, they know the Lord. Listen, when you know the Lord, you have a relationship with him. People who know the Lord pray. They receive answers to prayer. I'll tell you, people who know the Lord desire, they desire, the Spirit creates that in fellowship with Christian people. Because Christian people, have, they have in common with Christian people stuff that matters. And they want to be around Christian people. How about the people you say know the Lord? Do they desire to be around Christian? They love to worship. They love the Word of God. They take time for it. Can you say that about the people you say know the Lord? Here, here's, what, here's, here's what you probably mean. They probably know about the Lord. Somebody told them about the Lord. But the book of James, James 2.15 says this, so do devils know about the Lord and they shudder. There is such a big difference between knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord. Those who know about the Lord, it never got from the head to the heart. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.